I think we need to, I, and I can't speak for all labs, but I think we need to do better because the talent pool that you're seeing now and what you're going to be requiring is really, you're really starting to see that discussion from CSMLS and CMLTO where the people get leaving the profession, the people coming in are not matching and the talent pool is starting to dwindle and we've got a lot of labs that we need to service. That's the voice of Tom Clancy. No, not that Tom Clancy, but a pretty important Tom nonetheless. Tom is the Director of Lab Operations for University Health Network's Laboratory Medicine Program in Toronto, Ontario. That's the largest hospital diagnostic lab in Canada and one of the largest academic labs in the world. UHN employs over 500 full-time staff in its laboratory medicine program. Those lab professionals will impact nearly every patient that goes through Toronto General, Toronto Western, Toronto Rehab, and Princess Margaret Hospitals. And Tom is ultimately responsible for making sure the whole system works to the level of excellence that he and UHN demand. See, I told you he's important. In that clip, Tom is talking about the pressure that a dwindling supply of lab professionals is putting on lab directors and managers. That pressure is increasing the need to emphasize and enhance the people management part of the job, hiring good people, identifying top performers, and coaching or mentoring talent for their next position. When we started production on this episode, we thought it would be geared towards lab professionals in management or leadership positions. And there will be lots of great content for those folks. However, if you're working on the bench, don't skip this episode just yet. Because today you're going to get an insider's look at how Canada's largest diagnostic lab looks at the subject of talent management, which may give you some ideas on how to position yourself for success. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. Talent management starts with the hiring process. Ironically, when I spoke with Tom, he was right smack dab in the middle of doing just that. He was hiring for a managerial position. So interviewing was top of mind. For me, in, in, uh, in any interview type process, um, you know, you have your sort of basic process where you're looking at is this person can do sort of the core functionality of, any, of the position in question. Um, which is, you know, usually pretty ascertained within um, with any uh, interview on the technical type skills. But for me, I really want to look for somebody that's got the fit. Um, and, and the fit being that, does this person fit within the, the team that they're going to be involved with? Is this person going to fit within the organizational structure? So you need to have the technical skills to do the job. That's just table stakes. But as Tom is alluding to with the fit component, there is so much more that goes into judging whether a candidate will make a successful employee. For Tom, it's important to keep digging in the interview stage to try and ascertain that. We always look at things like soft skills is what we call them, and we we ask situational type questions such as, you know, talk about a situation when you're in conflict or you had a disagreement with your boss and... We want to see if they have real-life experiences. And by doing so, we look to see, okay, is this really the person that's going to be in this fit? Or maybe it's a fit that you want to change. So maybe it's a bit of a cultural change. You want to start in, 
start to uh, implement in a certain area where it's just required. If you were on the hiring side of the table, how much time do you spend thinking about the existing culture of your team and what skills or traits a candidate could offer to complement that team? Or as Tom described, what might help that team grow in a whole different direction? If you are hiring just based on the job description, you may benefit from taking a step back and taking a wider view before striding into the interview room. If you are on the candidate side of the table, it's hard to know what that particular organization or team is looking for. That's where doing your homework comes in. How much research and preparation have you done before walking into that interview? For Tom, that's a big indicator. What really impresses me about a candidate coming in for an interview is how well did they prepare for an interview? So what really floors me sometimes, it really makes me say, wow, I'm really impressed with this person is, did they, did they prepare for the interview? And have they done any research on the position that they're looking in? And have they done any research uh, regarding the organization? And when I see that coming out in the interview, I'm generally pretty impressed that a, it shows me a different level of professionalism and maturity that you may not see in other candidates. So, so those are the sort of things that I kind of look for. Now, again, you know, uh, we're usually a panel on the interview, so there's usually uh, managers, supervisors. They may be looking for something else, but for me, it's really about that fit, because if you don't have the fit, it could be problematic. Hiring good people the right kind of people for your particular lab is a good start, but that's really just where the work of talent management begins. I'd like to introduce you to Catherine Wang, the Vice President of Clinical Operations and Diagnostic Partnerships at UHN. That means Catherine is the Administrative Head of the Laboratory Medicine Program and Medical Imaging. Catherine is seven months into her job at UHN, but she is not new to the organization. Because as I discovered, Catherine isn't just a proponent of talent management, she's a product of it herself. I was, so I'm 15 years at UHN. Hmm. I started as a very junior manager um, and have uh, grown up in the last uh, 15 years in various different roles. Um, And the last before joining labs was uh, 10 years with medical imaging. So I've had uh, great opportunities all along the way, which is why talent management is a fantastic subject to be talking about because uh, I feel like I've been a product of great mentorship and support for talent in order to be able to grow into this role. Earlier in her career, Catherine was identified as an employee with the potential to grow and advance. That started her down a path that has led to a vice president position years later. Reflecting back, the approach that benefited her has shaped her view of how UHN should approach talent management. I mean, I have a very personal experience about it because I remember being tapped and really being notified that, you know, I, they recognize the talent and then having the opportunity to explore and grow, learn from my mistakes, have great mentorship. And so I very much believe that's the approach that we should be taking across the organization and particularly in the lab medicine program. Talent management is a focus at UHN. They have formal processes and structures in place to ingrain this into their practice. And a key component of that is the performance management process. At UHN, you know, we we really pride ourselves around talent management aspects, and it's tied to our performance management reviews. 
Um, and when you think about how large the organization is, and particularly how large the lab medicine program is, how do you manage talent uh, in such a large, diverse group? Because traditionally, you look at it and you think maybe there's 10% uh, that would be the superstars. There's a majority of them are doing a good job, but not necessarily the, the really big up-and-coming future leaders of the organization. And then there's uh, the lower performers that hopefully is a very, very small percentage. And so when you look at such a big cohort, how do you actually manage the talent? So what we do from a formal aspect is uh, we do have performance reviews, um, and every uh, employee is, uh, is given the performance review. And that's the opportunity for a formal conversation about how the last year went, as well as what are the objectives for growth for the next year. Um, ideally, we also get into a room together and for all the managers and directors to come together and we specifically talk about our top 10% of performers. And so that's the opportunity every year where we discuss everyone's performance and really intentionally talk about how are we going to grow these folks, how are we going to support them. And this is what I mean about my own personal experience because that's what happened to me. I remember. Um, they got together, the senior executives, they talked about the top performers, and then I was intentionally had the conversation of, we really see your value, we see tremendous growth and opportunity for you, and this organization really wants to grow you. And so it gave me the opportunity to know that, you know, I can expand my sandbox as much as I want. I have the opportunity to try out new things and to have the conversation with my superior around what are my growth potential opportunities. So that's the whole intention of calibration. It's called calibration meeting where we come together and we really discuss the high performers. Ideally, we discuss everyone, but sometimes in the limitation of time, that doesn't happen. But it's really focused around how do you focus on your top performers and make it more intentional around their own career path and their growth opportunities. Catherine's personal experience is proof of the process's effectiveness. UHN has the advantage of its size. Due to its scale, there are simply more advancement opportunities than smaller hospital labs. But even with that advantage, Catherine is keenly aware that sometimes they are growing an employee to leave. And I have to say, it doesn't necessarily have to be within UHN. I mean, lots of the times when we have these conversations, um, it could be that we see growth and that really UHN does not have the opportunity to support further growth because they've either tapped out or you know, they've been here for a while. We also intentionally help to grow them to become other employees of other organizations or hospitals. So that growth is not necessarily limited within our, our four walls. Not only is Catherine aware of this fact, it's something she takes pride in. So does UHN. The idea that they are growing talent that will go on to great things and contribute to the healthcare system in other places is seen as a win. Richard Branson once said, train people well enough so they can leave. Treat them well enough so they don't want to. Who am I to argue with that? The man has his own island after all. Informally, uh, it shouldn't rely on you know a one-year review of each individual. Informally, I think directors and managers are always listening for uh, those opportunities for high performers, and you you hear about it. So you we run a daily huddle um, in every single program across the organization right now. 
Um, and when we hear about great catches or people going above and beyond the duties, that really comes forward in those huddle situations. So when you start hearing the names over and over again, it leaves an impression. And that impression then carries through to having a more intentional focus on that individual around how do you cultivate them and how do you really nurture and grow them. So there's all sorts of informal ways as well of really being able to signal on who are the ones that we need to pay attention to in order to retain and help grow. The daily huddles aren't designed specifically for talent management. They focus on safety and workflow primarily but they do give a natural and ongoing opportunity for managers to identify their high-performing staff. It's built into their day. As a technologist on the bench, these types of processes could be your opportunity to get noticed. So make the most of them. But if you're struggling to use these mechanisms to get yourself noticed, then maybe it's simply time to put up your hand. To a certain extent, the people that are looking to move upwards in your organization often come forward to a supervisor or manager. That might sound like a daunting idea, approaching your manager or director and having such a blunt conversation. It's intimidating. In reality, though, managers and directors really like when this happens, and it isn't as rare an occurrence as you may think. I've had about three people in the last week come up to me to say about, you know what, can I talk to you about my career path and how I might get there? So I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to, to see that they have, you know, that openness to come and talk to me freely about it. And, and of course, I'm gonna, I do what I can to, uh, to help them out. Whether a high performer has been identified or they have identified themselves, the next piece of the talent management puzzle is coaching. It's finding the time to be able to to then mentor. So it's really about finding time to sit with them, talk about the career path, how you may assist on what they should do to get to that next level in terms of would it be uh, taking further courses, whatever the the case may be, do you need to take a course on some special techniques, Um, do you need to take some some leadership type course because you want to go up into the supervisor, manager, director, VP level, and, and then also taking the time to have, have um, discussions around when you see the, the individual or individuals in certain situations that they may have handled something very well or they may have handled something that, in your opinion or others' opinion, that they could have done better, using that as a coaching-type moment. We can't talk about coaching and development at UHN without talking about the fact that UHN is an academic lab. So let's back up for a moment and let Catherine speak to the academic mission for a minute. We see ourselves, because we are an academic hospital, as participating in the academic mission that is not just reserved for pathologists or for the physician group. And it's, it's something that uh, when you ask, what is it that's fulfilling the full potential of an individual, I think it's when the person is continuously learning, the person is continuously contributing to their profession and to their program around that learning, and that the person is uh, being able to carry that knowledge uh, beyond just the program itself. And I think every individual regardless of whether they're at the most junior level or the most senior level, has some opportunity to participate in that. And it's really what drives the academic mission. And so it's something that uh, I think historically, and what I see a lot of right now, is that people see 
it's an academic hospital, the academic activities is really reserved for the physicians. I really believe that the opportunity for everyone to fulfill their own personal opportunities as well as the programs and the organizations is if everyone throws themselves truly into the academic mission and looks for their own opportunities for personal growth through learning and through um, talking about what is it that they do because a lot of things that people take for granted in this organization that they do is actually interesting and helpful to colleagues outside of the organization. So everyone has a part to play in it. So this academic mission opens up a wide array of development areas and activities for laboratory professionals. But perhaps this shouldn't only be looked at in academic labs. After all, if we promoted these types of development opportunities to lab professionals across the country, I think we'd be doing the profession a service. Catherine continues. Uh, I would like to start looking at supports for staff to really be able to further that academic mission. So if you have a great idea, how do you take that great idea and build a study around it? Um, how do you actually, if you wanted to go present something that you're doing that's really innovative and you want to go to a conference, whether it's local or international, how do you submit an abstract and how do you prepare a proper presentation and how do you do a presentation in itself? Those are kinds of things that aren't always easy to navigate when you're on your own and trying to figure it out. And given how time limited everyone is, no one's going to really take that extra effort to figure that out unless you're super, super keen. So I'd really like to see the opportunity where people aren't left on their own, that there's an individual that they can go to um, that will help support them, um, that they can bounce ideas off of, and that that individual can then coach them in terms of, oh, here are the things that maybe you want to apply for, here's how to put together a great abstract, not do it for them, but to coach them through it. And so we have that kind of program in other areas of the hospital, and the intention is really to, to bring that forward to the lab medicine program as well. The academic mission at UHN is an important part of their culture and an aspect they want to nurture and promote. For managers and leaders listening to this episode, I think the challenge here is to identify what aspects of your lab's culture that are important to nurture. Does your organization do a great job of articulating that to the staff on the bench? Are there systems in place to support staff in participating in that culture and incentives for those who make positive contributions to it? Your talent management strategy should help your lab and your organization progress in its desired direction. For the professionals on the bench, I think the lesson is twofold. One, choose to work for an organization with a mission you believe. Choose a lab with values that reflect your own. And two, if you want to advance, you'll need to be a living part of that mission. You'll want to find ways to contribute to it positively. And that is going to take some effort on your part. And it, it, um, I would say in terms of the actual academic practice, so when I'm saying we want to encourage folks to really immerse themselves into the academic mission, uh, that often comes also with very, very long hours and a very big commitment personally. Um, but once you start getting the success of being a presenter or being able to put together a small paper on the things that you're doing, it then affords the opportunity for the organization to be a bit more creative around the role. And so um, that's really how physicians do it. They spend a lot of time after hours slogging it out on the academic front. They eventually hit a certain level of success where then the organization starts to pay for some protected time for that individual in order to be able to carry forward in the academic realm. But that startup 
it's uh, it's not something I can sugarcoat. It really is a, a ton of personal commitment, and that's why it's not for everyone. It's for the small few that really want to get motivated behind that agenda. But I would say from just a personal development for everyone, it is something that, you know, it's, it's hard to cram into your regular day. You have to really think about it during your off hours of, like, what is it that you want your career to grow grow into and where are you going to spend your time to grow because it's, it's not easy to do when the day is so busy. I can say that, you know, there's a great book that I read that really opened my eyes to the idea of talent management uh, in a different way. And it's not necessarily just around labs, about management overall. And it's called Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose. And it's by Tony Tsai, and it's a story about Zappos. It's a very, very easy read. But it talks about how um, the organization has to be very clear about its purpose, and then that leads to hugely motivated staff um, who are engaged and how you can have it all. You can have happiness and passion and purpose when you tie it all together. And it was a really meaningful story to me because it made me realize I need to be very clear about why people choose to work here and remind them that all the time because it gets very easy when you're doing your day-to-day work to lose the connection as to why you chose to be a lab technologist or a lab technician to start with, why you chose to come into healthcare in the beginning, because all of your idealism ends up going out the window as you're dealing with the pressures of the day-to-day. And so for me, uh, I very much focus on opportunities to bring back and remind folks the purpose of why we're in an academic hospital. And it ties back to the academic practice strategy I referred to of really getting everyone engaged and involved in the world of academics because my hypothesis is people have chosen to come to an academic hospital knowing it's more complex, knowing the workload pressure is really high, but they choose that because they want to be in an environment where people are learning, innovating, creating new tests. And so the opportunity to really send messaging on a regular basis around what is it that makes the organization special? And everyone feels the organization special, and they are, because each organization serves a specific purpose for their patients and for the healthcare system. Everyone's filling a certain role. And so it's really about tying back why we're here in order to help motivate and engage staff. And then from there, then they can start thinking about how am I going to contribute to that on a personal level or an individual level. And so. You know, investment in communications is really important. I know it often in tight budget times, that's the first thing that people say, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, But I I think having regular touch points, mechanisms where the staff are reminded as to why they're here, how big an impact they have on patients, um, and their huge, huge crucial role in the hospital uh, needs to be reinforced all the time because it gets way too easy for people to forget and it just becomes the tactical job of doing the day-to-day. You can tell that this is a subject that Catherine is passionate about. I love when she talks about purpose. I think everyone, no matter what their role, can benefit from taking time to remind themselves about why they're in this job, what they love about it. Because as Catherine says, that passion gets worn down over time. But there is a reason you chose this profession, and the impact you make, while you can't always see it, is profound. 
Okay, I want to shift gears here for a minute. Catherine brought up an interesting topic towards the end of our discussion. In 2016, UHN integrated the Michener Institute, one of the largest educators of health professionals in the country. The integration has interesting implications on UHN's talent management. Catherine explains. With Michener now being part of UHN and being such a big training ground for technologists and technicians for lab medicine as well as for imaging, so the entire diagnostic portfolio, um, we want to be able to attract the best students that are going to Michener in order to be able to attract the best employees graduating from Michener. And so when we think about our HR strategy for the future, we really should be thinking more upstream and thinking about how do we change the curriculum so that it is really the leading edge and innovative and really mirrors the demands that are required for clinical practice once they enter into the hospital so that when we are selecting the best students for Michener um, and we're growing them, that we are preparing them potentially for UHN to hire uh, into the hospital for uh, when it comes to the clinical operations side. So our opportunity from people management and talent management is expanding significantly with this new opportunity with Michener coming on board. You can see the benefits that the close relationship with the educator and the employer could bring. And in the case of the Michener Institute, there is now a direct line of influence between the needs of the employer and the curriculum itself. And this may, over time, start to change the way Michener educates future lab professionals, emphasizing the skills needed most. I mean, if you if you think about it, it's always easier to influence when the embryo is still in the womb and before the person comes out fully formed. And so we had to be very careful. The missioner is not there only to be a training ground to UHN, but because there is that connection, the training at missioner really is there to serve the entire lab program for um, all of Ontario and beyond. So we're not looking to make it such a niche area that it's only for UHN. But from a UHN perspective, we have the opportunity now to really help nurture those uh, individuals that are meant to be in an academic center uh, to transition more easily from a training uh, environment to the clinical environment. If the relationship between Michener and UHN proves successful, I wonder if it will pave the way for more formal partnerships between employers and educators. Time will tell. We're going to step away from UHN now. I'd like to introduce you to Chris Bailey, former CEO of InCommon Laboratories. InCommon Laboratories, or ICL, is a private, not-for-profit laboratory diagnostic brokerage company serving Canadians coast-to-coast. Can I admit, I didn't know laboratory brokering was a thing? In case I'm not alone, I'll let Chris explain. The role that we play is we interact between hospitals or clients who need laboratory testing and reference labs. We have about 50 to 60 reference labs across Canada and the United States. So we broker all these tests so you send them to Uncommon Labs, we deal with all the front-end logistics, all the client services, all the information technologies, all the pending reports. Basically, it's a one-stop shop. I like to call it the FedEx of lab medicine. I met Chris in 2017 after she presented as part of LabCon's Manager's Intensive Program. Her presentation, called Strategic Imperative, Your Most Valuable Asset is Engaged People, was one of the most well-received sessions of the conference. While we were still blissfully amidst the beautiful mountains of Banff, I got a chance to talk with Chris on the subject of talent management. 
And I think that a lot of times people talk about people as being personnel or HR. And at the end of the day, it's really a lot more than that. It's about having recruitment. It's about challenging people. It's about engaging people. It's about how you how you work as a manager or, or a leader within your organization. And when you link all those pieces together, that's talent management. For Chris, engagement is key. But to understand how to engage people as employees, we first need to understand how they are engaged as human beings. Chris suggests a useful model for doing just that, and it's one you've probably heard before. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory of psychological health based on fulfilling innate human needs and priority, culminating in self-actualization. Abraham Maslow was a psychology professor at Columbia University and is one of the most cited psychologists of the 20th century. He published his theory in his 1954 book, Motivation and Personality. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is often portrayed as a pyramid with the largest, most fundamental needs at the bottom and the need for self-actualization at the top. Maslow's theory suggests that the most basic level of needs must be met before the individual will strongly desire or focus motivation upon the secondary or higher levels of needs. The model explains the motivation of people who go beyond the scope of the basic needs and strive for consistent betterment. Here, Chris relates Maslow's model to the workplace. You know, do we go to work to just get a paycheck? Do we go to work because we like that sense of belonging? You know, we enjoy the people that we work with. We like to be told, you know, that, you know, we're doing a pretty good job. But for the most part, it has to do with the social interactions that go on. And I know many single people, older people, divorced people, they come to work because they've got a support system in place. And they like the work. So they'll do that. Then you could be a person that is an esteem player. Um, I really like the work. I'm good at it. And I like to be thanked for it. And then you get the ones that are the self-actualizers who really are about, I'm the best at this. I want to be on this committee, that committee, on this project. I want to better myself. I want to be promoted. I want more in life. Understanding your employees as people, not just workers, is the first step towards engaging them. But be warned, you may not be able to engage all of them. To my surprise, Chris says this is okay but you do need to watch out for toxicity. Well, disengagement in the workplace is usually about 20% of your workplace, and it could be higher depending on the environment and also the manager. If the manager is not a very good manager, you can have a much higher level of disengagement, but typically it's about 20%. Now, there are disengaged employees that lead to the toxic players and to the ones that are just, I'm here to collect a paycheck and I don't really want to do anything else. I don't really worry about them as long as they're doing a good job. You know, they come to work, they do their thing, um, and they're doing it well. I am not so worried about having some disengaged people. It's the disengaged that come that are toxic, and they really wreak havoc. It doesn't matter what's going on. They come to work to create havoc. And they usually don't want to be at work. They hate their colleagues. They don't like what they're doing. It's bad fit. Their managers aren't right. It can be all kinds of reasons about the toxicity. I'm also convinced that there are just some people out there who really look at what could possibly go wrong here. They can't find the what can go right. If you are a very good leader or manager, 
you may be able to turn some of these people around by understanding their reasons for being so angry. Um, most lab people are not trained in doing that. And consequently, if you happen to be a pretty good per people person, that's also another way for you to become very advantageous within your workplace is becoming the people, ad you know, the advocate for the people and trying to find out why are people angry? What, what is it? And see if we can't do something about that. But it ripples up and down through the organization. But if a person is truly toxic and needs to leave. Turning disengagement around brings us back to culture. Chris offers some specific advice on building a positive culture, and it starts with celebration. I think that there's a, a number of things that organizations can do through celebrations, even to the point where anytime anybody has a birthday, you know, that's, that's celebrated, uh, or a milestone birthday, or a milestone event, or a project that gets done and gets done well, and they do a shout out. Um, those are really fun, particularly if they do the shout outs in uh, making fun of each other about things that happen about or a shout out that's really important about a project that got done and what happened at, during and afterwards and did they meet their, their scope goals. Um, and, and that's really a celebratory part or the values of an organization that we are here to celebrate our wins. If we don't have a win, can we still celebrate the fact that you know, we made some mistakes, something didn't work very well, but here's what we learned. So now we have what I call the light bulb moments. Um, I love mistakes in organizations and to use things like light bulb moments that, um, gee, something went wrong here. And I've been in a group that we used actually a visual of a big light bulb. And when something went wrong, per people would hold up the light bulb and whoever could <laughs> came. And what they did was an on the spot issues analysis. What happened? Um, what did you do? How did you notice the air? Um, what would you do differently next time? And they let everybody participate in that. So A, a bunch of people learn, they get to analyze, and they come up with solutions. Wonderful way for a group to be a learning organization. And if you believe that learning is part of your values, then you got to show it every moment because the best learning is done in the moment. You know, with a small child, you don't tell a small child when your dad gets home, they will have forgotten all about it and they won't know what in the world they're talking about. So you do it in the moment and, and it's about learning. It's not about being, you know, spanked or, you know, hand slapped or put in the corner. You know, it's about learning. There's not very many mistakes that are made that can't be rectified. Chris could not emphasize enough that talent management is an important strategy for any lab. Over the years, she feels too much of the responsibility for people management has been delegated to personnel or HR departments. In her view, this is a key responsibility for lab managers and directors. And with salaries and benefits comprising somewhere between 50 and 70% of a lab's operating budget, this might just be the most important part of the lab leader's role. For the laboratory leaders listening to this podcast, I hope you picked up a few new ideas for better managing the talented lab professionals who work as part of your team. It's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day operations. I get it. I'm guilty of that myself. But it is important, vital even, to make time to focus on things like culture, coaching, and mentoring. 
to take a critical look at where your lab needs to go and how your people can help or hinder that progress. The decisions you make about talent management are strategic and need to be treated as such. For the professionals on the bench, I hope this episode showed you how integral you are to the success of your lab and gave you some ideas on how to get yourself noticed so that you can progress in your own career. You play a huge role in the culture of your lab and making a positive contribution on this front may be one of the most important things you can do for your own advancement. When it comes to building culture, sometimes it's the little things that matter most and leave an impression on the people that you work with. I'd like to leave you with a quick story from Tom that I think illustrates this point. In fact, one of our staff that just last week retired basically said that to me. She said, I just wanted to come to you because I, I didn't, I, to be quite honest, I didn't know her that well. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you for everything. And thank you because every day you saw me, you smiled and said hello and asked me how things were going. That's not that difficult. And again, I, I try to do that with, with um, not just lab staff, anybody that is working within the hospital. I think building those key relationships um, across the organization are paramount for success. At the end of her career, it was a simple question of how are things going and a smile that she remembered most. What an empowering thought. Because if that's what it took to help her feel engaged over her time at UHN, if that's what it took to create a positive environment, then we all have the power to do it. So if you remember nothing else from this episode, though I really hope you do, remember to keep smiling. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor, editorial and editing support by Erica Now. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you'll earn a certificate verifying professional development hours by listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. Thanks for listening.